Good morning. As I said last week, oh, the weather outside is frightful, but worshiping the Lord is delightful. So we are so thankful for those of you that made the trip in here. And for those of you watching online, cuddled under your uh, blankets, we're a little jealous, but we're happy that you're joining us as well. And we're excited to be here. I, I don't know how many of are you kids opened presents this morning. We opened presents. But one of my favorite presents was actually left in my office last week. I didn't know who left it, but um, I'm pretty excited about it. So every time I have a frustrating day, it's a screaming goat. Uh, so uh, so it's it's been really fun, you know, if, uh, if I get, you know, a, a bill I don't want. Anyways, so it's nice. So... Uh, I don't know. You know, they say silent night. I wonder if, you know, they had goats and other stuff there. That was going on while Jesus, while the birth was going on, maybe with Mary. But anyways, uh, next week we're starting our Colossians series. We're excited about that. If you go to the next slide, uh, we're going to be beginning uh, on the first. And in your sermon notes, uh, we have changed the way the back of the sermon notes are. So for this next year, you're going to have reflection questions from today's sermon. But then also you're going to have some uh, things that can you can read ahead of time for next week to prepare for next week's sermon. So we're going to have that each and every week uh, that if you'd like to do that uh, in addition to or instead of the reading plan that we have. All right, so I have a question. Can you predict the future? Can you predict the future? I think many of us wish that we could, you know, go forward in time like Biff did in the 1980s and went back and found the sports almanac and was able to know what the scores were going to be in all the games and back to the future and was able to become a millionaire. We can't predict the future, but sometimes we can make educated guesses. You know, before every football game, they take the top analysts and they predict what the score will be to the game. And, you know, this year, a lot of people thought for sure Ohio State was going to win. But, you know, we all know the results here. Well, one more. The most important slide. Okay. Anyways. And we should be, we should be skeptical if someone claims to know the future. Uh, sometimes there are people that say, uh, God told me this is going to happen. This last year, uh, Pat Robertson said God told him that Trump was going to win. And everybody's like, see, God told Pat Robertson. But they forget that God also told Pat Robertson that Mitt Romney was going to win. And so sometimes if someone says, God told me this, we should be a little, a little skeptical. But we can't even predict the future for our own lives. If you had told me 10 years ago that my family would include uh, six boys, well, that's including me, Sandy says six boys, five boys from three different countries, ages 12 to 22, I never would have thought that's what my family would look like. You see, we can't predict the future. We can't know what's going to come. But did you realize that the Bible has hundreds of prophecies, specific prophecies about what would happen, and those prophecies were fulfilled? And the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling those prophecies was so minuscule that I'd like to read a story that will hopefully help you think of that. And imagine that in Waco, Texas... Ancient scrolls are uncovered, which were written 600 to 1,000 years ago. Some were written before the discovery of America by Columbus, and all were written before the American Revolution. The scrolls predict that someone in our generation will be born who is of direct lineage to George Washington. 
This person will be descended from a long line of important founders of America, all who were born in Tarrant County, Texas, in the town of Azel. Miraculously, his mother would be a virgin. At the time of his birth, dignitaries from other countries would mysteriously know about him and would come to worship him and present him with precious gifts, believing he was a special envoy from God. In addition, our imaginary prophecies would also reveal that as a result of this child being born, local ruling tyrants would make an attempt to murder him. This would result in the deaths of many innocent children whose mothers would weep over their loss. To protect this special child from the tyrant, his father would take him to another country, later bringing him back. And this future child would grow up to lead a religious movement. Now imagine that all of that came to be true in our lifetime. Fulfilling the predictions of these century-old scrolls. As astronomically, uh, as astronomically unlikely as the creation, preservation, and fulfillment of these written prophecies might seem, that's a fair parallel to the scriptures. One scholar, J. Barton Payne, found as many as 574 verses referring to the Messiah. Another scholar uh, pointed to 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah and his times. And conservatively, we can say at least 300 prophecies were directly about Jesus. But do you realize how unlikely that is? Kyle jumped ahead a little bit, so you do realize how unlikely it is. But the odds of winning the lottery are 1 in 312 million. This math professor did the math on Jesus just fulfilling one prophecy, and it was astronomical. But then he said, what about these 48 prophecies, these ones that are very specific? What would the odds be? It was 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's the odds of Jesus fulfilling just 48 of the prophecies that he fulfilled, and he fulfilled over 300. In the first week of this series, we looked at how Jesus was the promised child. For unto us a son is given. In the second week, we looked at how Jesus was the promised servant. How he came to die for our sins. In the third week, we looked at how Jesus was the promised king. That he would come again and rule as king. And this last week, we looked at how he's the promised Messiah. The best gift ever given. So what we often do on Christmas Day, and I don't know if your families do it, but we sit down and we read the Christmas story. And just a moment ago, we sat down and read Luke together, the Christmas story about Jesus' birth. But today what I wanted to do was do the same thing, but just let's read the story from Matthew. So today we're going to get the story from Luke and the story from Matthew, but see it through the lens of prophecy instead of just reading it through the lens of, hey, we've read this Christmas story so many times. And, and Matthew 1 begins, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now for us, genealogies don't seem that important. You know, I know I'm Phil, son of Frank, son of Frank, son of Frank, because my dad was a third. Beyond that, I don't know. But in those cultures, they kept meticulous records because it was so important to them. And so we have this Beautiful thing. Matthew outlines the genealogy of Jesus and goes all the way back to Abraham. And Luke gives the genealogy of Mary all the way back to Adam. And here's what's significant about that. Adam and Eve were the first humans ever. They lived in this blissful place. And yet, one day, Satan tempted them. They decided to sin. They decided to eat from the tree of good and evil. And because of their sin, they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. 
Their sin made them recognize their guilt. And, and God met them there in their sin and their shame. And He met them. And He made this promise to Eve that one of your offspring, one day the serpent would strike his heel and the, your offspring will crush his head. Right there in the midst of their sin, there was a promise of the coming Messiah. Not only that, what did God do? He, he made clothes for them. How did He make clothes for them? He killed an animal, a sacrifice to cover their sin and their shame. So in the very moment, we see this picture of Jesus coming to cover our sin and shame. And then we see, if we skip ahead to Genesis 12, about 2,000 years before Jesus, we have God telling Abraham that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him because of his offspring. And Genesis 17, God affirmed that covenant with Isaac as an everlasting covenant. And Genesis 28, God affirmed it through his son, Jacob, that all peoples of the earth, everybody that has ever lived, will be blessed through your offspring, predicting Jesus. Genesis 49, uh, Jacob's son Judah, the scepter will not depart from Judah. And Jesus came from the line of Judah. Now fast forward about a thousand years before Jesus and the covenant of Judah was again confirmed to David, promising that God will establish an eternal kingdom through one of his descendants, pointing forward to Jesus. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would come from the line of David. So we have this beautiful picture that Thousands of years before Christ, 2,000 years before Christ, 1,000 years before Christ, we have this picture of the coming Messiah. Now let's skip through all the names and go to verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Because if you hear a woman say, I'm pregnant, uh, but it's God, it's the Holy Spirit that made me pregnant, uh, you're going to go, yeah, I've never heard that excuse before, but I don't believe you. And that's what Joseph said, So, but he was an honorable man, so he said, all right, well, I'll just divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. We just read that a second ago. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 700 years before Jesus was born, it was prophesied that he'd be born of a virgin. Verse 24, when Jesus woke up, he did what the, Joseph, sorry, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. 1,500 years. Well, let's go back. Bethlehem of Judea is 700 years before. They predicted that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And then he says, the Magi came from the east. Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 1,500 years before Jesus came, in Numbers 24, it was written that the Messiah, that there would be the star that led you to Messiah. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And he called together all the people, chief priests, teachers of the law, and he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? And because they were good scholars, they said, ah, in Bethlehem, in Judea. Because Micah wrote it. We, we talked about it last week. You, O Bethlehem, you're, you're least among the rulers, but out of you will come a ruler. Then Herod called the Magi secretly out from that the exact time the star, uh, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me. Let me know. They're like, oh, that sounds good. This guy wants to worship the king too. Nope. He wants to get rid of all competition. He wants to kill baby Jesus. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw a child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this is a, a good place to stop to help you know. You may say, Phil, why did one scholar think there were 574 prophecies about Jesus and other 456? And why did you say, well, conservatively, we can say there's at least 300? Because there's prophecies like this. In the Old Testament, there are multiple verses that seem to hint at people coming to the Messiah and bringing gifts. But some scholars will say, well, that's actually talking about Solomon. It's not talking about the Messiah. And that's actually talking about this king. It's not talking about the Messiah. So there's not clarity. Okay, is, number, is this passage talking about the Messiah or not? So that's why we have a difference in, in the number of prophecies. Does that make sense? So, you know, some scholar says, yes, this prophecy about bringing us is definitely about Jesus. So I got 574. And the other guys would, well, that might be about silence. So, Solomon. So we got 456. So I just wanted to let you know. But we have at least 300 that were, are agreed upon by all conservative scholars. So just point taken. All right, verse 12. You know, I was studying all that, and I was like, there's so many details. Anyways, uh, after having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. I can't imagine the fear in this moment. You just had this baby... The magic just came, gave gifts. You're, you're on this high, the spiritual high, and then the angel says, you got to get out of here. And stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him, to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea 11, over 700 years before Jesus was born, predicted that the Messiah would have to flee to Egypt. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So he did the math from when the Magi saw the star, said, okay, if I kill everybody two and under, I'll definitely kill that kid. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. This is written 600 years before Jesus was born. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. See, the Bible both predicted that Jesus, that the Messiah would have to flee to Egypt and that these babies would be killed. Verse 19. After Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of, Is Egypt, or of Israel. Sorry, For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. 
So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, the place of his father, he was afraid to go. Having been warned in a dream, this guy has a lot of dreams, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now this phrase, you'll go back, sorry, this phrase Nazarene is one that causes scholars a little bit of confusion because we don't have that specific phrase in the Old Testament, that he would be a Nazarene. So they, they go through a number of different options to say what, what is Matthew saying. And, and for me, after just reading Isaiah, I'm like, oh, this makes perfect sense. If you remember the first week of the sermon, we read from Isaiah 9. I'm going to go to verse 1 there. It says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Natali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. If you can go to the map. So in 2 Kings 15, uh, the, we, we have the Assyrians come and take over this area, Zebulun and Naphtali. So those are two of the tribes. There's the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Isaiah predicted in Isaiah 9 that there's going to be this future coming Messiah that was going to be in Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, where did Jesus grow up? You remember? Nazareth. And later he goes to Capernaum. So stay on that map for a second. I just want to look at a couple things to help you see how Jesus was from Nazareth. Uh, if you remember Nathaniel, when he was asked about, when he was told about Jesus, that he was from Nazareth, Nathaniel went, can anything good come from Nazareth? And, and the response was, come and see. Come and see. This Jesus came from Nazareth. In Matthew 4, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. So he leaves Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum, okay, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. So Matthew is pointing back to this prophecy. And he says, To fulfill what is said through the prophet Isaiah. And so he actually points back to Isaiah 9 to say that Jesus was fulfilling this prophecy by living in the Galilee of the Gentiles, by moving from Nazareth to Capernaum, by living in his borderlands. And later in verse 4, uh, chapter 4, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom has come. And, And so now Jesus starts preaching to not only Jews, but Gentiles in this area of Galilee by the sea. If you can go to the next slide, in Isaiah 9, 3, it says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. How did Jesus enlarge the nation of Israel? Well, he welcomed in the Gentiles. He said, I've come for all, to bring redemption for all. In John 10, he put it this way, I have other sheep, talking about the Gentiles, that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus came to to unite. He came to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. So that's just walking through the the story of Christmas. But I want to just go back and remind you of these odds. One in ten to the 157th power. Among other things, the Bible prophesied that Christ would come from the promised lineage. And his genealogy is traced back to Adam and Eve, Abraham, Jacob, and Jesse. The Scriptures promised 700 years before Jesus was born that Jesus would be born of a virgin. 
Also 700 years before he was born, it was prophesied that he'd be born specifically in the town of Bethlehem. 1,500 years before he was born, it was prophesied that a star would point to Jesus. 1,000 years before he was born, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be presented gifts. 750 years before he was born, it was prophesied that he would escape to Egypt as a child and then there would be great weeping and many would be killed. That was predicted 600 years before Jesus was born. If you walk through the Old Testament, it's astounding how specific these predictions of the coming Messiah would be. And I'm only looking at the birth of Jesus. I'm not talking about when you go to the death and resurrection of Jesus and what happened on the cross and all these things that would have to happen to Jesus that were out of His control. Things like His garments being being uh, taken lots over. Pe- people bidding for His garments. Uh, things like His bones not being broken. Even though the two right next to Him had their legs broken, He had already died so they didn't. All these specific prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. But on Christmas we celebrate this prophecy that Jesus didn't just come as a child or a servant or as a king, but he came as a gift. For unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given. He was the greatest gift ever given. But one of my favorite prophecies is one that Jesus actually says about himself. And one of my favorite scenes in Scripture, in Luke 4, Jesus goes back into Nazareth, where he had grown up. People had watched him as a kid growing up. They, had, they knew who he was. But now he's returning as an esteemed teacher. And he walks into the synagogue, as was his custom. That's one of the reasons why we try to meet every week, is that Jesus himself, every week, went in the synagogue. And he's given the floor to speak. And he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens the scroll to Isaiah 61 and says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. So he reads that and he rolls up the scroll and he goes and sits down. You could hear a pin drop as people wait. What is he going to say? He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the fulfillment of all these hundreds of prophecies that you have read your whole life. You've gathered week in, week out in the synagogues reading about me. The whole point of all these books was pointing forward to me. I came to save you from your sins, as Andy so greatly put it out. What did Jesus come to do? He came to proclaim a number of things. Good news, freedom, recovery of sight. He came to set people free. What kind of people? People that are poor, people that are prisoners, people that are blind, people that are oppressed. And you may say, I'm from America, Phil. I got everything I have. I got off my own hard work. I'm not poor. I'm not a prisoner. I'm not blind. I'm not oppressed. I'm doing great right now. And Revelation 
3, Jesus was writing to a church in a very rich town. And in that very rich town, they had basically said, we got it, Jesus, and they had pushed Jesus out the door and they had closed the door. And Jesus said, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you open it, I'll come to you and restore fellowship. But they just left the door closed because like, we don't need you, Jesus. And they said, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize, Jesus says, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They were blind to their own need. They thought they had everything they needed, but in reality, they, had, they didn't have anything they actually needed. Because Jesus came to proclaim good news, freedom, recovery of sight, and set people free. To what kind of people? Poor, prisoners, blind, oppressed? You. Me. He came as the promised child. He came as the promised servant. He came as the promised king. And he came as the Christmas gift for you and me. So today I just want to ask you to do two things. One, receive the gift. There's a famous story told about a young man who was graduating from college. And he had worked really hard. And his parents were very rich. And they had sent him to the best, most prestigious school. And they had loads of money. So the time came where he was going to be graduating from college and he had been talking to his dad about this sports car he really wanted. And in his mind, all signs pointed to this dad giving him the sports car. And so he comes home from his graduation. He knows his family has tons of money. They could easily afford to get him this sports car. He knows he worked really hard to graduate. And comes time and his dad hands him a present. It's a Bible. The son is furious. All this work I did and all you give me is a Bible? So the son... Leaves him, says, I, I, I don't need you anymore. So he goes off and he becomes a very successful businessman and, years to, and he loses track with his dad and years later he hears the words that his dad has died. So he heads home and he's going through his dad's stuff and as he's going through his dad's stuff he finds his dad's Bible. And so he opened the Bible and turned through the pages his father had carefully underlined a verse in which was Matthew 7:11, which reads, And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, give to those who ask him? The son read those words, and a key dropped from the back of the Bible. It had a tag on it with the dealer's name, the same dealer who had the sports car that he wanted so badly for his graduation. And on the tag was the date of his graduation that said, Paid in full. See, his dad offered him a gift, but he never received it. So all those years he didn't have the car because even though he was given a gift, he never accepted it. See, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will receive eternal life. Jesus made this offer to all. He has wrapped the present in a little baby boy born in Bethlehem and said, this is my gift to humanity, but what you have to do is you have to receive the gift. If you just put it under the tree and leave it there, it's no good. You don't actually have the gift. The only way to have eternal life is to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, through a relationship with Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one only Son that whoever believes in Him will receive eternal life. You have to believe. You have to trust. You have to turn to Him as Lord. And second... For those of us that have accepted that gift, we've received that gift, I want to encourage you today to be thankful for the gift. 
This morning, maybe last night, you opened up a lot of gifts, and maybe some of them you were super excited about. It was exactly what you want. Maybe there's some kids in here who didn't get what they want, and they, they were like, and really upset, right? But we need to be thankful for the gifts that we receive, because all good gifts are from the Father. But in the same way, when we get to Christmas, oftentimes we forget the greatest gift. We get so caught up in the toys and the video games for our kids and for us, the shoes. I got some sweet shoes. Anyways, you'll see them in church probably next week. But we get so caught up in all that stuff, all the things of Christmas, that we forget the reason. We forget that that for thousands of years, there were over 300 predictions that were fulfilled in one little baby boy. That Jesus came as a gift. And so as we walk through this season, let's be thankful for that gift. Let's be thankful that although we were spiritually poor, although we were prisoners to sin, although we were blind to truth, although we were oppressed by our sins and our selfishness and the cares of this world, Jesus came, as was prophesied, to preach good news, freedom, and spiritual sight, and to set us free. That's the most amazing thing. Maybe you're out there on YouTube watching today or ten years from now and and you felt like you're so trapped. You can be set free. Maybe you're here today and you feel trapped by your life circumstances and you feel like everything you've tried, nothing brings satisfaction. Jesus says, I have come to set you free. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. We serve the Redeemer who has redeemed us from our sins and offers true freedom, not fake freedom. Like the train that always wants to be free and get off its tracks, and when he finds himself off his tracks, he finds that he can't go anywhere. Sometimes we long for freedom, and we find that we have none of it, when really the freedom is found on the tracks. When we follow God's Word and His purposes, we find true freedom. So let's receive the gift if you've never received it, and be thankful for it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for who You are. Lord, You're so good. You're so good, and You're so gracious. And uh, I'm sure many of us in the hustle and bustle of Christmas season with all the different shopping and parties and, and busy schedules and traveling to this family house and this family house, and it can be really stressful. And in the midst of that, we can lose sight that 2,000 years ago, a little baby boy was wrapped as a gift for us and born in a manger, just as prophesied. And that now He came to set us free. To proclaim good news of great joy that would be for all the people. We can celebrate Christ has come. In your name we pray. Amen.